Tenekoto, Namai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Yura, hello to all of you out there listening. Thanks so much for choosing to listen to my Walking the Shadowlands podcast. It's so great to have you join me today. If this is your first time listening, a special welcome, and we're glad you chose to join us. Can you imagine what life must have been like back in the early 60s in America for an interracial couple? The extreme pressures that this relationship must have faced in an era when much of America was still segregated. I personally can't begin to even imagine what sort of day-to-day stresses this must have created for any interracial couple back then. People were not as accepting and tolerant or educated as perhaps they are today, but still as I speak, many couples in a similar situation have plenty of struggles of their own to deal with, even in this more enlightened times we live in today. Then, as if that were not stressful enough, this couple find themselves in a situation that must have been completely traumatising and most definitely not as accepted or even acknowledged as it is today. So this couple had two massively stressful hurdles that they had to deal with in their lives, both through situations that they really had no control over, subjecting them both to the most extreme ridicule and public judgment imaginable through no fault of their own. This at a time when the US government was ramping up its process of ensuring that anyone who witnessed any sort of UFO activity and spoke out was immediately ridiculed, dismissed and treated as though they were mentally ill. They encouraged this dismissive attitude deliberately and until just recently maintained that stance. Unofficially, of course. If you're a follower of the UFO phenomenon, then you may have heard of this couple already. They are the first legitimately recorded and very well-researched UFO abduction experiences. I'm referring to Betty and Barney Hill, two incredibly brave and honourable people who experienced such a traumatic event that forever altered their paradigms on what reality is. In this episode, I have the pleasure of talking with a woman who knew them and their story better than any other living person on this planet, their niece, Kathleen Marden. She talks to us all about her experiences with her aunt and uncle and how the family dealt with helping to support them through all of this. But the question in all of this currently is, are you willing to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Then let's begin. (laughs) 
Kathleen Marden is a researcher, author, on-camera expert, conference presenter, experiencer, advocate, hypnosis practitioner and support group facilitator. She's known as one of the leading UFO contact researchers of our time. Since 1990, she's researched the perplexing nature of UFOs and the non-human entities associated with highly advanced aerial vehicles via her own groundbreaking research, investigation and experimentation. Her research has extended to archival collections and the US government's involvement in the investigation of UFOs and its major studies. This has combined to give her a depth of knowledge that few possess. She's the 2013 recipient of MUFON's Researcher of the Year and the 2021 recipient of the International UFO Congress Lifetime Achievement Award. She earned a bachelor's degree in social work and was employed as an educator and education services coordinator while attending graduate school. She's a certified practitioner of regression hypnosis and the quantum healing hypnosis technique. Additionally, she offers the Awakening Soul support group for experiences who feel an intense call to be part of the answer and to assist others who are beginning to awaken to their relationship with non-humans. Her interest in UFOs and contact began in 1961 when her aunt and uncle Betty and Barney Hill had a close encounter and subsequent abduction in New Hampshire's White Mountains. She spent 15 years in painstaking investigation of the Hill abduction case and continues her search for new evidence and the scientific analysis of the physical evidence. She's worked on three comprehensive studies on nearly 5,000 experiences, two of which she initiated and saw to the end, and has five professionally published books. Her bestseller was nuclear physicist Stanton T. Friedman is captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience. She and Stanton worked together for nearly 14 years and collaborated on two additional books, Science is Ron and Fact, Fiction and Flying Saucers. Her book with Denise Stoner, The Alien Abduction Files, includes her investigation of six intergenerational cases of abduction contact. Her fifth book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted, is a comprehensive guide to contact for experiences, those who love them, professionals who work with experiences, and the interested public. Additionally, if that all wasn't enough, she's a contributor to the Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation's Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence. Her essays have been published in several additional books and magazines. Her books are available in all formats on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Autographed copies can be purchased on her website at www.kathleenmarden.com. She's given on-camera commentary on numerous television shows and movies. Kathleen has lectured at conferences across the United States and in Canada, Mexico, Brazil and the UK. Additionally, she has presented video lectures in Denmark, France, Italy and China. One very busy lady, my guest Kathleen Marden.
Kathleen, thank you very much for joining us today. I've been, My pleasure. I've been really looking forward to talking with you since I first came across you. Now, you come with a very interesting background, and the work that you do today also is very interesting. Uh, as I read at the beginning before I introduced you, uh, in your biography, it, it says that that you are an investigator, a UFO investigator for contactees and abductees. You do archives for the US government cover-ups of the UFO files. You're a lecturer. You're an author. You're a very busy lady, I have no doubt. <laughs> I'm extraordinarily busy. In fact, uh, I just recently stepped down from my 10-year position at the Mutual UFO Network as their Director of Experiencer Research. Wow. Uh, I started out with three people on the team. We built it to 50 people wow. who speak with experiencers on a day-to-day -day basis to just uh, give them support. Because uh, I have found personally that what counts most is just to have a compassionate, caring listener who is not going to laugh at you, not going to ask you what you were drinking or smoking or anything mm -hmm. else. They, they are there to listen and to give you support. So um, I had to step down from that just because of time constraints. I have a very busy uh, calendar this year and uh, I've been working on a two-hour documentary that's going to air in September. So I'm pretty excited about that. It required a lot of time. Right. I'm also I reopened my hypnosis business. Uh, and I work with experiencers, generally experiencers only. Right. I use the quantum healing hypnosis technique developed by Dolores Cannon. Ah. So it's a very gentle technique. And when people come to see me, it's uh, they spend the entire day. We begin at nine in the morning and uh, we generally finish around four or five o'clock at night. I've already interviewed them via Zoom wow. prior to the face-to-face -face meeting. But we don't spend all of that time with hypnosis. No, no, we spend not. three, yeah. four hours just getting to know one another so that they feel comfortable and I feel comfortable with them. Uh, it gives me an idea of what uh, I want to ask mm. them about and, and that sort of thing. Mm. And uh, then I spend a couple of hours in hypnosis with them. Then we contact their higher self and uh, have questions answered. And uh, we can also uh, contact the superconscious uh, in order to request healing for that individual as we work and move through their chakras and the superconscious right. tells me when it has finished uh, with a certain section of the right. body. So that's really uh, important that you take that time for experiences who are traumatized anyway. It would make them feel a lot more secure and comfortable opening up and allowing themselves to go into hypnosis with you. Absolutely. Mm. That's, that's so important. And, you know, although I'm an investigator, I learned quite a long time ago that uh, you cannot be a cop. Mm. 
You cannot uh, interrogate people. You cannot treat people uh, openly skeptically. It's right. important to be skeptical, a rational skeptic. Right. But it's so important to treat people with respect and consideration, uh, knowing what they've gone through mm. to be able to empathize with them. Mm. And that's the most important thing. If they have evidence, whatever, sure, I'd be mm. happy to collect that. Um, and if it's evidence that uh, should undergo scientific analysis, then we can do that. But um, the the person comes first for me. Absolutely. And I will tell you that for me personally, and my listeners know this, and I talk about it from time to time in different episodes as it comes up, I've been an experiencer my entire life. Mm -hmm. My earliest conscious recollection with beings was when I was three years old. Yes. And, you know, in, in um, the first study that I worked on with experiencers, I've worked on three with over 5,000 at this point. But in the first study, um, we asked that question, how old were you uh, when you were first taken? And 37% said they were three years old. Wow, I yes. didn't know that. Yeah, and, and we found that the vast majority have been taken when they're less than 20. I was, as far as I know, taken for the first time when I was 17. Right, of course, and it, this is a good segue. It follows family lines generally. Absolutely, it does follow family lines. In fact, in my most recent study of 516 experiencers, we discovered that 60% were aware that of other family members who had been taken, but a lot of family don't want to talk about it, mm -hmm. they don't want to open. Uh, themselves up to possible ridicule absolutely or gossip a in the family <laughs> absolutely and of course being who you are you would have noticed that in your own family with your aunt and uncle who were Betty and Barney Hill that's correct I've got their names correct haven't I yeah yes Betty and Barney Hill I was 13 when it happened Wow, uh, I actually heard about them. They were the first ones I had ever actually heard about or read about back in the 70s, I think. Mm -hmm. That was so last century. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. They were taken uh, when they were returning home from a vacation. They went to Niagara Falls and then to Montreal, Canada, um, Quebec and then uh, drove home in the late afternoon, entering New Hampshire at uh, probably about nine o'clock at night. They stopped for a little snack, uh, knowing that the restaurants would be closed after that. And then they, they headed south, knowing that they would arrive home at about two o'clock in the morning. Right. And as they traveled uh, on 35 miles south of Colebrook, Betty spotted a new light in the sky. And what was so perplexing about this is that it moved upward. Right. And uh, so she was watching it, trying to figure out what it was. And uh, she watched it over another probably half hour or so before she finally convinced my uncle to stop the car so that they could get a look at this thing that she was trying to identify. 
And uh, so they stopped uh, and looked at it through binoculars. And uh, it then came in much, much closer than it had been. They returned to the car, drove uh, further south through an area called Franconia Notch. And so it's uh, like a national forest, I think, uh, or state okay. forest. I'm not sure, <laughs> even though I grew up in New Hampshire and lived there for years. But uh, it's a beautiful area. There are mountains on both sides of the road. Uh, before you enter from the north entrance, there's a wide valley. And then it becomes narrow. There's a beautiful stream that runs along the highway and uh, the mountains. And as you enter, you see uh, Cannon Mountain, which was a ski area, right. is still a ski area, in fact. And then the old man of the mountain, which was New Hampshire's state symbol. And it was just uh, a rock formation, natural rock formation. Uh, 48 feet from forehead to chin. Oh. And Betty and Barney stopped the car to look at the craft that was hovering now next to the old man's profile. And they noticed that it was at least one and a half to two times the length of that 48 foot profile. And the craft appeared to be rotating and lighted on only one side. Oh, they got back into the car and headed south. Uh, pulled over again in Franconia Notch, but uh, they couldn't see, so they just drove right out again. And uh, then and departed from the south entrance and drove about a mile south of there when this craft swooped down over the highway. And Barney had to stop the car in the middle of the road. Wow. If he didn't, he would have been directly underneath it. Right. I've done investigations where people did try to drive underneath it and ended up inside it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was a little bit of a delay before Betty and Barney were taken into the craft. But uh, Barney was a confirmed skeptic. He didn't believe this was possible. Uh, he didn't believe people who uh, said that they had had this happen to them. Mm. And so he grabbed the binoculars, got out of the car. He's looking up at this craft. He stepped back for a better view. And when he did, the craft moved across the highway and hovered over an adjacent field. It was now only about 100 feet in the air. Wow. And he followed it to the field, still trying to identify it. Of course, he couldn't. Mm -hmm. It was shaped like a giant pancake, he said. And... Uh, he, he stood there holding the binoculars to his eyes and he saw a uh, little red lights slide out from the sides of this craft. Um, and when that happened, there were uh, entities, non-human entities that he could see through the windows. All but one moved to what appeared to be a panel. Their arms went up. And he could now see them from the tops of their heads down to their knees. Oh, wow. And when that happened, uh, something started to drop down out of the bottom of the craft. He didn't know what it was. Uh, something was dropping down out of the bottom of the craft. He thought that he was going to be captured, yeah. like he said, a bug in a net. And oh. he pulled the binoculars from his eyes so forcefully that he broke the leather strap and went running back to the car to my aunt, screaming that they had to be 
get out of there or they were going to be captured. Got into the driver's side. He'd left the car running, the door open. He, he got in there and as he was entering the car, he noticed that the craft was moving back in his direction. He went speeding down the highway and uh, he knew the craft was overhead. Mm-hmm. And within a few uh, minutes, he and Betty heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of their vehicle. And uh, it caused their car to vibrate and for a tingling sensation mm-hmm. to pass through their bodies. Experiencers are familiar, familiar with, with that the, tingling yeah, sensation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the next thing they knew They were 35 miles down the highway. They didn't remember the drive. They had spotty memories of finding themselves on a dirt road with tall trees all around, of observing what appeared to be a fiery orb sitting on the ground, and of a roadblock. But they couldn't remember precisely where that occurred. They drove on home, and when they arrived, they discovered that it wasn't 2 o'clock, their expected arrival time. It was after 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow, for the last three hours. Their Betty's dress was torn in several places. Barney's best dress shoes were so deeply scraped that he had to buy new shoes. Uh, Their watches had stopped running and never ran again. Uh, And there were shiny spots on the trunk of their car that hadn't been there the day before. And the physicist who lived next door to me advised Betty if she had a compass, she should take it out to the trunk of the car and see if how the compass needle reacted. Now, for some reason, she thought that it was to measure radiation. It was to measure a magnetic field. Mm, mm. Was there a powerful magnetic field uh, ar- around the trunk of the car? And do you, in Australia uh, or New Zealand, do you call it a, a trunk or do you call it? Call it the boot. You call it the boot. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, and we know that up at the, the front of the car, the, the, there's a battery. So that's going to affect a right. compass. But it didn't. Uh, Betty placed that compass over those new spots she had found that hadn't been there the day before and the needle world indicating a magnetic field mm-hmm. around the car. We've, we've seen that so many times uh, with people who have been abducted by uh, craft that I guess lifted the craft, the cars into the air. So um, that's what happened Barney had a great deal of difficulty with what had happened to him. And Betty, he said to to Betty, don't ever tell anyone about this. Uh, We just have to forget about this. Uh, No good could ever come of it. But Betty was curious. She wanted to know uh, what this was all about. So she took the first book she'd ever read about UFOs out of the Portsmouth Public Library. They lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And in it, there was an address. And they, uh, she sat down with Barney. She was the typist. She wrote a letter to uh, 
Major Donald Kehoe, who was the head of the National Investigations Committee right. on Aerial Phenomena. They'd right. already made a report to Pease Air Force Base. They had been told by my father's friend uh, that Pease Air Force Base were, was collecting reports on UFO sightings. Right. So they made a report there. They made a report to NICAP. And then a NICAP investigator went to their home. Uh, and investigated their case, uh, interviewed them separately and together for a period of six hours. Whoa. Long time. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was privy to all of this information mm. growing up. We were a close family. Betty and Barney came to Kingston, New Hampshire, where I lived, across the street from my grandparents, Betty's parents. Uh, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And so we followed this all through. Uh, Betty had a series of dreams just before she woke up in the morning where she remembered a great deal of what had happened. Those are kind of the, the, uh, the, the same theta state that you are in uh, under hypnosis. Right, right. So you, you can remember uh, things that have happened to you, especially if you uh, have some anxiety that needs to be worked through. Right. And she apparently did. But Barney was the one who continued to want to forget about this. Mm-hmm. Betty wouldn't let him due to her curiosity. Right. And he ended up actually uh, developing bleeding ulcers, high blood pressure. Oh, he wow. was hospitalized uh, because of the bleeding ulcers. Mm-hmm. He was had to take a three-month leave of absence from his job. Oh, wow. And this is when his medical doctor referred him to Dr. Benjamin Simon, who had become famous for the work that he did with um, men returning from the front right. uh, during World War II. Right. And they were treated by Dr. Simon and other psychiatrists mm. at the Mason General Hospital in Long Island, New York. He developed a special technique using deep trance hypnosis. And sometimes he had to use uh, as an adjunct therapy, uh, 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 sodium sodium pentothal, sorry. (laughs) And, um, And so he used this deep trance hypnosis to get to the crux of the matter on why these uh, soldiers were returning with physiological problems that were psychogenically induced. Mm. And so he he was the perfect person for Barney to see, given Barney's situation with life-threatening bleeding ulcers. And uh, so Barney saw him, Betty went too, and she said that she would like to be hypnotized. Uh, She wanted to know if her dreams gave any indication of what really happened that night. So Dr. Simon agreed to take them separately and to reinstate uh, the amnesia at the end of each session so they couldn't remember what they had told him. So he could compare their statements. Right, that's that's actually clever thinking. Can I, uh, before, before you continue, can I ask what age were they when this happened? Barney was 39 and Betty was 41. Right. 
Yeah, I think that there's a good possibility that they were taken prior to that time but didn't remember it. I would say so. Yeah, that doesn't seem to me like that would be the first encounter for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yes. did did I read correctly that Betty had an amniocentesis test? Yes, on the craft, Mm. years before we were using it in hospitals here. Yes. Yes. There's no way she would have known about that as far as I know. Yeah. She wasn't a medical researcher. Yeah, I remember that specifically, being a nurse myself, that bit really stuck out for me because, like, how would she know it wasn't a common, it wasn't a test that was done back in those days and uh, Betty was uh, on the craft and the examiner produced this very large needle and connected to a tube Mm. and she said what are you going to do with that and of course this was telepathic communication yes and he said to her he or she (laughs) said to her it's only a simple uh, kind of a pregnancy test And she said, well, that's no pregnancy test here. Don't do it. It will hurt. And he did it anyway, causing excruciating pain. But the leader, the one she called the leader, who was the escort, we as experiencers, you know, we see that individual time and time again through our lifetime and are familiar with them and Mm. generally like them. Mm. And uh, he took her pain away. So she began to trust him. And uh, when the examiner finished, uh, went to another room, uh, she got dressed, she put her dress back on and uh, he had actually, the, uh, they had broken the zipper. Uh, there was a two inch tear in the, the stitching. There was a one inch tear in the yeah. thick zipper fabric and they didn't know how to unzip a zipper they were struggling with it. So Betty right. had to reach behind and unzip it <laughs> for them. And uh, so she'd put her dress back on and uh, she started looking around the room. She found what was like a tablet. She called it a book because, of course, we didn't have computer tablets right. back then. Uh, but that's the way she described it to me in 2001 when I asked her to write down just to sketch some of the symbols that she saw in that tablet. And so she did. And uh, I wrote about it in the second edition of Captured. Uh, There was a study done by two academic scientists and Bud Hopkins, uh, Mm. who was a a leading investigator, a pioneer investigator in the United States. And he hypnotized many experiencers. And they also remembered being or seeing these symbols on craft. So what the scientists, Dr. Don C. Donderry and Dr. Stuart Appel were doing is attempting to uh, find out if people could just be hypnotized and imagine these symbols, right? Or if uh, they had actually uh, seen these mm-hmm. and and had sketched them. So they ended up finding the that the experiencers' symbols were very much alike. There were two different types, but each type was nearly identical. 
And then the, uh, the, the students who took part in the study, who had not uh, had an experience with UFOs, uh, symbols were very different than the other groups of experiencers. And so Dr. Dondari saw the symbols in the book that I wrote with Stanton Friedman captured. And he asked me if he could compare those symbols, if I minded. He, I said, no, absolutely not. So he did. And he said, Betty's symbols were nearly identical to many of the symbols in the studies that he had done. Whoa. So that was further scientific evidence that mm. this was a real event. Mm-hmm. And so Betty uh, then asked the leader, um, I know you're not from around here. Where's your home port? And so he produced this three-dimensional star map, maybe like a holographic image. And it had uh, stars that were connected by solid lines and dotted lines and some smaller stars that weren't connected at all. But the solid lines were about the size of, uh, the stars were about the size of maybe nickels. Right. Maybe one was a little larger than that. And they were connected by five solid lines. And then there were other stars that were smaller and still connected by solid lines. And uh, she asked, well, what, what's this? And she was made to understand that those were trade routes. Those were places that they went through to uh, one. The, our son eventually, we found out, was had two lines going there. So they had made at least two expeditions, or not expeditions, but trade routes um, to the planets in our solar system. And then there were other stars that were connected by dotted lines, and she was made to realize those were expeditions. Wow. So uh, those stars on Betty's map, the the two in the foreground, uh, we discovered uh, were Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And there was a great deal of scientific work done on that star map. Uh, it took many years to find a match. We had to wait for te- our technology to Let's advance right. before we could. But finally, it did. And a brilliant woman from Ohio was uh, the person who was doing this research. And she found a match in 1972. Wow. Yes. And uh, so uh, she, the important things about the stars on the map is that all of the stars on Betty's map connected by lines are sun-like stars, although Uh only 5% of the stars in our local galactic neighborhood, out 55 light years in all directions from the sun, are sun-like stars. And all of the the stars in that volume of space, our sunlight on, at our, and are on Betty's map, wow. which was quite remarkable. Not only that, they're in a plane. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to go from one star system to another rather than jumping here and jumping there to go off to star systems. It, it was logical right. to the astronomers who looked at it. 
who yeah. were seriously looked at it, I should say, because yeah, there yeah. were disinformants who came forward and said, oh, you could throw marbles into a sandpit and, and you could have a match. Well, yeah. that's not what they were looking for. What the real serious investigators were looking for, uh, and I just told you what mm. they found, mm -hmm. finally. So, uh, so important. And one of the astronomers said that if he uh, or if we had astronauts and on Zeta Reticuli, those are the routes that we would follow to go to our sun. Interesting. Very yes. interesting. I, I thought of them and I thought, well, of all the ridicule, the uh, putting down, the, the indignities that they suffered because yes. of what they experienced, they were incredibly, incredibly brave people. And honestly, I... Uh, my heart really went out to them because, you know, as a couple, they would have had issues that they were dealing with anyway. Um, yes, with their a, interracial a, marriage. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and and at a period of time where it just really wasn't as acceptable as it is now. So that was an incredibly yes. brave thing to begin with. It was. But to me, love is love, you know. Yes, yes. It doesn't have a colour in my, in right. my mind. And so they had that to deal with. And then that on top of it, what a burden they carried. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Betty and, and Barney uh, were very active in the civil rights movement. Mm. They had intended never to let the public know about what happened to them. Right. They were willing to talk to military officers, to scientists, mm. uh, to their friends at the church, their close friends and the family. But uh, that was the limit to what they had intended to do. They talked to UFO investigators, but they didn't realize that that information would travel. Right. And uh, a bit naive, in 19... In 1965, Betty and Barney's uh, important political work uh, caused them to have to receive an invitation to the presidential inauguration of Lyndon B. Johnson. Wow. And they took me with them. So, yes, that was quite How an experience. Funny. Yeah, uh, that was one of the good things that happened in 1965. Also. Barney received an award from Sergeant Shriver, who was the head of the poverty program for the United States government. And Betty and Barney had helped to set up the Rockingham County Community Action Program oh. with funds from the Office of Economic Opportunity. And Barney received an award because he was uh, the uh, director of the first board of directors of, of that organization. Uh, he had also set up for the Archdiocese of Manchester, New Hampshire, the uh, a literacy program, because in those days you had to pass a literacy test in order to vote. So he and my aunt were working wow, on really? voter rights. Wow. And then he was appointed to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights as a state of New Hampshire advisory board member. So he had all of these wonderful things happening. Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, a very high status in the state of New Hampshire politically. Mm -hmm. And then 
in October of that year, a Boston newspaper ran their story uh, without the five election. days in a row. Uh, five days and it it was just so shocking mm. to betty and barney and especially for barney who was doing all of these great yeah. things thought of very highly except for by the book bigots yeah. <laughs> but um you know so uh, and then all of a sudden injected into this is there are a couple of kooks uh, they this is a couple who thinks that they've been talking to aliens from another planet. You know, this it, it just was so devastating, oh, especially imagine. to Barney. Yeah. He was the one who cared more about what people thought of him. For yeah. Betty, you know, yeah. she didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> but for Barney, it was devastating. Yeah, because he worked so hard to get and in though that era to achieve what he did yes. as a man of color was a, a real feat. Yes, it because was. they just weren't given the opportunities like they have these days. Absolutely. So uh, it was difficult to mm. see what Barney especially went through mm. when these articles were published in the newspaper. But uh, he was a very strong man. And uh, he agreed. We had a family meeting, in fact, to figure out what to do next. And um we talked about you know, denying it. They couldn't deny it, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and so they decided to go public for the first time about their close encounter, not about the abduction itself. Right. And so they went public with that. Uh, and they were introduced by the public information officer from Pease Air Force Base, who told the, the people it was a packed uh, audience on two levels of the building. Others were standing outside in the sleet with loudspeakers uh. trying to hear what was being said. And uh, he, he told everyone there had been many UFO reports that they had received. And uh, so he introduced Betty and Barney. And in the audience was John Fuller, who was sort of a mainstream writer. Right. And he uh, approached them and said to them that he would like to write the, uh, the book. Wow. And uh, so it took many months of negotiating mm. uh, before everyone could reach an agreement. Betty, Barney, John Fuller and Dr. Simon. Betty and Barney would only be involved in it if Dr. Simon was as well. So um, it took many months, but they focused pretty much on the hypnosis and uh, not the scientific end of it, right. really. Um, and Dr. S uh, or excuse me, John Fuller, being a mainstream writer, was uh, being controlled by the publisher. That you have to you have to spice this up. You have to mm -hmm. embellish the story, uh, mm -hmm. or it's not going to be a book. And right. so he ended up having to, to change it. I don't blame him for that. But it did cause uh, a lot of misunderstanding about what really did happen to the yes. hills. Yeah. And uh, I only discovered all of that when I was doing my research and investigation and comparing the hypnosis audio tapes with what 
John Fuller had written in his book. Uh, I found out so much had been left out or rewritten um, in 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 a proper English, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Betty and Barney were were not always using proper English. Right, and probably it would have been better if he had used their exact words rather than. But he wouldn't have had a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. So that's that's essentially what happened. Um, Betty and Barney then uh, were in touch with the original investigators of their case. Uh, they had stayed in touch over the years with uh, the one from NICAP, but then there were two scientists from NICAP who had interviewed them in November of 1961 right. that they got in touch with again. And um, these were scientists, and they had asked Betty and Barney, if they learned any more, please get in touch. And so the two scientists, Robert Homan and C.D. Jackson, um, heard from Betty again about what had happened during their hypnosis. They had the opportunity to listen to the uh, audio tapes from the hypnosis, and um, they talked Betty and Barney to participate in a series of contact experiments. We think of them as CE5 experiments today. Right. They were calling them right. psychophysics experiments. And anyone who did those things back in that time frame, when, when it was known about, was considered to be a real kook. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So it was kept confidential until I wrote about it in Captured. Wow, that's pretty amazing that it was kept confidential for that long. Yes, yes. Especially considering in, what else leaked out. Yes, and you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Simon was there. He had a lot to lose by taking part. Yeah. Um, and these scientists had a lot to lose if it was made public. So they just, uh, Betty kept it confidential. And I put it in Captured. And she would be given a sort of text that she had to uh, send, try to send messages to these non-humans that uh, she had interacted with and to try to ask them to come into a certain location and show their craft. And uh, sometimes she was successful, other times she wasn't. Mm. But she uh, found that she had to work on it for at least two weeks or more before they would come in. Wow. And one of those locations was on my grandparents' farm. Go to the, to the home of uh, Florence and Raymond Barrett, my parents in Kingston, New Hampshire, and land and you will be invited to into the house. <laughs> <laughs> my my grandmother was kidding when she said that, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one night a craft did come in. And uh, one night they did hear these like measured knocks on the door. And wow. So uh, they uh, bet my aunt, my grandparents were terrified when that happened. Oh. But uh, on another, I think it was another night, I hope I'm not mis mixing the story up, uh, but a craft did come in, it landed, it left physical trace evidence on the ground, it was investigated by NICAP, um, and uh, 
my mother and I were taken that night. I think that that might have been the first time time. that I was taken. At least it's the first time I remembered being taken to, to craft. I was terrified. I remembered being on a table. I remembered I could not remember who was standing around me. Mm -hmm. And I kept trying to say to myself, I must have had, my mother must have wanted me to have some kind of surgery. The doctor found something wrong with me. And so uh, they came to my house in the middle of the night and did this surgery on me. And so that I wouldn't know about it. That's the way I rationalized rationalized. it for a while until I I realized, no, my mother and I were taken. And she and I both remembered being taken to crack. How old were you? I was 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that. I can understand why you would rationalize it like that, even though consciously you knew that that's not that's not true. It's funny yes. how your mind can't compartmentalizes itself like that, so you can come to grips because it's so far out of your normal reality that you have to find some way to deal with it. You do. You you know that's the only way I could think of it. Not yeah. think of it as finding myself in this uh, different non-human environment with uh, ETs stand, non-humans standing around me. And, and eventually, years later, I did remember it consciously, but I had an ab reaction as I was speaking to a confidant about it. And that's when I remembered that face for the first time. Right. And what did it look like? Was it uh, what sort of being was it? Uh, they were kind of a variety of greys, mm-hmm. um, just like uh, Betty and Barney interacted with. Mm-hmm. I I have uh, a sketch, I think, that it, of that in maybe in my latest book. But they were a, a sort of a, a light grayish color, maybe a little tones of blue. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had larger eyes than humans. Um, sometimes they had eye shields. Sometimes they didn't. Uh, completely hairless. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were wearing black uniforms. They had like just a slit, tiny slit for a mouth that was low. Mm-hmm. It was below our mouth, low on the chin. Right. Is what I remembered. Um, tiny tiny nose, little upturned nostrils, um, no external ear flaps. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't even know how many fingers they had, but I think they had four in all. I thought about that for years too, just trying right. to remember <clears throat> those hands were five fingers of four, but I think that there were, um, Four, right. Three fingers and an opposable thumb, I think. Wow, wow. That's but I pretty, could be wrong. <laughs> that's pretty detailed recollection, though, for all that, Kathleen. You know, that's. And, and, I went through hypnosis, and that's. Oh, well, yeah. Of course, right. you can remember it then. Right. Yeah. And I was wondering, because, you know, like sometimes like they said to me uh, and one experience I had when I was about 
five or six, they said, you won't remember this now. You have to forget it now, but you will remember it later when you need to know. And mm -hmm. I did. Mm. Yes. How old were you when you remembered? Uh, in my 30s. Yeah. In, in your 30s. 30s. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was an experience when uh, this UFO came down over my home. I talk about, I've talked about it in a few episodes. And the next day we had a visit from the men in black. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I was only young then. My mum was in her 20s. And I remember it very distinctly because they told, they kept telling my mum she wouldn't remember. And one of the guys turned to the other and said, what about the kid? And they said, oh, she's too young. She won't remember. Well, nobody ever told me what I could or could not remember and mm -hmm. what I could or could not talk about. So I made a point of talking about it whenever I got the opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's it's good to be able to talk about it. Well, just because they told me I wasn't allowed to, that I wouldn't, mm -hmm. you know, and that right. mum wasn't allowed to talk about it. No, it wasn't yeah. allowed. When I wanted to talk about it when I was younger, my family said to me, they don't want you to talk about it. Oh, don't tell anyone. Of course, yeah. because they would have seen what your aunt and uncle went through and how it affected them. It must have, like, you were talking previously about how your uncle had post-traumatic stress disorder from it. Yes. And I guess particularly in that era when the male was seen as the protector mm -hmm. and the head sure. of the family, he had all that social expectations on top of him as well as this so it was harder for him to deal with it because I guess in some respects he would have felt like he failed in his role as the head of the family and the protector to protect Betty yes yes he couldn't protect Betty yeah and and I think that that bothered him yeah. a great deal he was a black man who yes. was being abducted. Well, when black, black men were abducted in this country, very bad things happened to them. Absolutely, especially in that era, uh, even, even today, but more yes. especially back then. So he had all this, try oh gosh, I feel so bad for him. And you guys being family, would did you talk about it much with your aunt and uncle? about what happened to them? Oh, absolutely. Within two days of the time that happened, my parents, my brothers and I went to their house. We saw the evidence. We talked to my aunt. My father was sitting in the living room talking quietly with, to Barney. And my father later told me that Barney was describing what he remembered of the non-humans on the craft as he was standing in the field looking at them through binoculars. Right. So that part was all conscious recall. Um, so uh, yes, and then when I decided in 1988, 1990, something like that to, to uh, write a book, uh, I was going to write Betty's biography, right. but uh, it went way beyond her biography because there was just so much mm. information that I wasn't aware of and no mm. one was really aware of as far as I know. Right. And so I ended, I did my own investigation. Uh, I went to the close encounter route time and time again uh, with Betty and, and with my husband without Betty. Uh, my husband and I drove the entire route that Betty and Barney drove on that trip. 
Right. Uh, because one of the disinformants said that they had been driving for 16 hours straight. <laughs> and that was false. <laughs> Maybe right. 16 hours over the entire trip over a few days. But, you know, yes. that's it's just the disinformation that's been disseminated to the public. And, uh, and this is a disinformant said that Betty and Barney had been driving so many hours, they were hallucinating when mm. they thought they saw this craft. Mm. And so I wanted to know if my husband and I would be hallucinating yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that time frame, since we followed, we stayed in the same area where Betty and Barney stayed. We traveled on the old roads, not the super highways we have today, yeah. on the roads they drove on in 1961. So we, we just did everything the way they did. And I can tell you, we were not hallucinating. And we were 20 years older than Betty and Barney when we did that. Right. Um, than they were. So uh, I investigated this time and time again. I played devil's advocate uh, with my aunt, uh, going over ev all of the details over and over again. Mm. I had... Uh, she gave me the hypnosis tapes. I transcribed them for comparative analysis. So I have the comparative analysis and captured, but um, I, it's not this boring comparative analysis I yeah, did of statement after statement. And I, I wrote it in uh, a very uh, readable way. Right. And uh, it actually proved that this was not a dream. This was not a hallucination. Mm. Um, they actually had uh, this experience and it was borne out by their separate statements that were different than a mm. series of dreams that he had um, in, in many of the details. So uh, did a tremendous amount of research. I have all of the archival records, the letters to and from investigators and scientists and uh, Dr. Simon and so many others, and, and put all of that information in the book. Wow, there's a lot of, but it's a labor of love, eh? It was. I mean, I did 15 years of investigation before, wow. before that book uh, was finished. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty. And not only that, you had all the inside information that other people probably didn't have as well absolutely absolutely yeah. I had everything yeah so I was I'm sort of like a walking Betty Hill in a sense <laughs> at this point and, and she did appoint me as her spokesperson after I you know from learning all of this information I took care of her when uh, she was uh, dying from cancer yeah. lived in that house had some very interesting, maybe ET experiences there a couple of times. It's in the book. Right. And uh, just, uh, I think I know I, everything there is to be known about that experience and, and a lot about her, her life as well. Right. I would say so, uh, you know, from both angles, from the research you did and from the family just being around them and growing up around them. You know, mm. to me, your aunt and uncle were probably the bravest people and they really allowed other experiences to come forward yes. because of that. To me, like, I'm getting emotional, this is ridiculous, but to me, they were real heroes. 
I agree. Uh, they were real heroes in my eyes. And the, their experience is the first credible recorded experience. Yes. Ver verified, verified many decades after the experience by the information that, that Betty shared on the star systems alone. Yes, yeah, the the star systems, and and uh, I've continued to as we have developed scientifically to uh, ask scientists to do uh, chemical analyses, DNA analyses, uh, the the symbol study that's in the new book, and there's, so there's a lot of new information that we're finding out now, right. like uh, a very rare metal that was found on Betty's dress that has an extraordinarily high melting point. Whoa. Did that, uh, did, did Betty pick that up off the floor when her dress dropped to the floor when she was going to be examined? Wow, that's really interesting. You know who might be good for you to contact if you, if you haven't already heard of him, Professor Avi Loeb. Yes, I haven't. I, I know who he is, but I haven't contacted him. He mm. he would be. Re I interviewed him last season on Oumuamua. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, he he might be able to give you some um, astrological perspective because he's a, a, a astrophysicist. Mm -hmm. at Harvard. Yes, and I've worked with. I I have talked to many astrophysicists um, as I've in the years that I've right. gone through my research and, and investigation with experiencers. But, um, you know, so Claude Swanson is one of them that I spoke with, Dr. Claude Swanson, um, who is uh, very well known in the United States as uh, an astrophysicist and a theoretical physicist. Ah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I don't know why I'm having difficulty with my memory this afternoon, but uh, another uh, astrophysicist who uh, worked at Harvard, at the uh, Harvard MIT uh, Smithsonian Astrophysics Laboratory, Rudy Shield oh, is I've his name, Dr. Oh. Rudy Shield. He worked with Susie Hansen. I was just going to say, I know yes. Susie. Susie's so a his friend of mine. I yes. recognize that name, right. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, I spoke with him. I wanted right. to know, is it even scientifically possible right. for ETs to pass through a solid surface and to pass humans through solid mm -hmm. surfaces? Mm -hmm. And what they told me was, absolutely, it mm -hmm. is possible. And we have done it on a small scale in a laboratory using neutrinos Oh. I mean, we have a long way to go as humans, but it's possible because I was told the, um, and I'm not a physicist, I took one <laughs> high school <laughs> physics class, <laughs> but uh, what they told me is that the, the atom is 99.9% .9 empty space. It, absolutely. And all you have to do is align uh, the... Uh, frequency and the phase and atoms can interpenetrate. Mm. So all it takes is the technology to be able to, and the know-how to be able to do that. 
Mm. And eventually we'll probably be able to do that if we heed the ET's uh, advice and save our planet. Mm -hmm. Quantum physics, amazing stuff. Yes, Amazing yes, it is. stuff. Oh, I love quantum physics. It's really, really interesting. That, uh, you know, like I often say to people, well, you know, this that chair you're sitting on isn't actually a solid object. It's just a right. mass of atoms, but sure. it appears solid. Yes. So everything has a vibrational frequency. Mm. Everything is in motion. Mm -hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is. So the end of your aunt's life, did uh, Barney died before Betty did, did he? Unfortunately, Barney died in February of 1969 right. from a massive cerebral hemorrhage. He was only 46 years oh, old. Oh, that's quite, that's young. Yes. I wonder if that may have been brought on perhaps through the stress, you know, raising the blood pressure and stuff like that. I, I suspect that it did, but he was also in a percussion accident during World War II. In fact, he had like shrapnel scars uh, on, on his chest and he lost his teeth as a result of that too. Uh, and so that, that might have weakened the, the veins in his head. Oh, absolutely could have, or, you know, the shrapnel could have wanted because they didn't always get the shrapnel out. Oftentimes they left it in, mm -hmm. you know, and it can travel. Yes. Uh, Oh, that's tragic. Poor Betty. And she lived for quite a long time after his passing. Yes, she did. She died in 2004 at age wow. 85. That's a good life. Mm -hmm. It was. How hard for her, though. And that meant that she had to go through most of that by herself. Yes. And, and you know, she never remarried. Mm. But she and Barney had a very special relationship. Mm. They were like two peas in a pod, oh. in a sense. Um, they weren't the same people, yeah. but they were so close yeah. and loved one another so much that yeah. uh, it was it was so difficult to to lose Barney. Yeah, for all of you, but I can understand uh, how it was for Betty. That's that's yes. really hard, and the interest in them never has ever really died down to this day that's that's correct they were incredible people the first scientifically investigated case mm. incredible case mm. with a lot of evidence as well so yeah, it, it was a it was an extraordinary experience yeah extraordinary we're reaching a time i think where uh, there are major things that's that are threatening our planet They've been giving this information to us as far back as 1954 oh. that I've uh, found in my uh, investigations. Absolutely. The, the problem with uh, our failure uh, to take care of our planet's environment. Mm -hmm. And I really think that probably this, these COVID infections that are coming and and becoming worse rather than uh, not as virulent as they uh, uh, as they morph. I'm, I'm trying to think of the word for it that um, mutate as they good. mutate. Yes, yeah. thank you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, as they mutate, they're becoming worse. It appears than the original, 
And, but I think that it's, uh, there has been a negative collective consciousness in this world for uh, some time, particularly in the United States over the past four, four or more years, probably eight years. And then uh, so much destruction to Gaia, to Mother Earth, mm -hmm. where um, she just feels the need to shake some of us off. Tell you what, my guys said to me, my my team, my star people said to me back in 80, 80 in the 80s, they mm -hmm. said to me, Marianne, the earth's been held like a baby. And they, mm -hmm. they gave this rocking motion so she won't move before time, before people are ready. Mm -hmm. So they've been holding her in position to stop some of the earth changes Mm -hmm. before enough people were awakened uh, spiritually or yes uh, they said to me that there had to be a certain level humanity had to reach a certain level of awareness before the physical changes would start to take place so humanity had a chance to catch up I guess for want of a mm -hmm. better word and they said once once that point had been reached which was about three years ago I felt the energy shift when it happened mm -hmm. uh, and I immediately posted in my in my Facebook group that I have that this podcast started from that the shift had just occurred and what would happen from here on in that there'd be a polarization of people and that's when the Me Too movement started people started standing up and really uh standing up for what's right for the planet yes for, for justice mm -hmm. you know for things that they would have let slip a few yes. years before and this is what my people told me you know like they've been mm -hmm. training me my entire like you probably like when I started being taken up I have recollections of being in classroom-like settings in learning situations with children my own age around my own age as I grew up they were always around about my age mm -hmm. and they were teaching me things and preparing me and part of what I'm doing now is what they were preparing me for and that's educating people yes. in different ways that's one of the reasons I started the podcast was to at least get people questioning what they regard as the norm Yes, absolutely. It's so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a little difficulty with that initially because my background is in science. I, um, yeah, yeah. as a social scientist, and I worked with nuclear physicist Stanton oh. Friedman for 14 years. Oh, wow. We right. wrote three books together. And so uh, it, I was had a dilemma of yeah. how I was going to introduce this information Mm. And uh, I would never repeat anything that the ETs told me unless other people had also verified that. And so right. I always had open-ended uh, questions and studies that we worked on. And uh, so the, the main message that was given to me and so many others is that um, our spiritual development is out of sync with our technological progress. Absolutely. And when that occurs, uh, it creates a huge problem mm -hmm. and it could possibly lead to uh, the destruction 
of our planet, Mm -hmm. not the planet itself, but to life on this planet. And uh, so that's, that's the message. The, what we have to do is to raise that level of spirituality. And by doing that, it's to raise the collective consciousness so that through our positive work, through our positive thoughts, I was reading uh, a, a Native American chief's uh, message to humanity last night on Facebook, in fact. And what he was saying is when these uh, unhappy things happen, don't plunge into depression. Mm-hmm. Don't focus on that. Rejoice. He said, dance, sing, play music, because we need to keep that. He didn't say collective consciousness, but that's what I'm calling it. We need to keep that high. If we don't, we won't be able to save this planet. Yeah. And that's the message that our star people have been teaching those of us who are experiencers, not so much the contactees, because it's a bit different. I'm sure you've noticed the difference. Oh, but, absolutely. Yeah. But for experiences, that's a message that they've taught us from the time they would take us is you have to look after this planet. People right. have to rage their awareness. You have to do, you have to. I came in in 56. Mm-hmm. 56 was when I was born. So mm-hmm. I came not long after they started with the atomic testing. Yes, yes. And, and the atomic testing has created huge problems yeah. for them. Um, they worked uh, with uh, a Navy admiral, the ETs, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was uh, actually a rear admiral from the state of Maine. And the uh, Canada's uh, director of uh, he was the head of uh, radio technology, and he was also the head of their UFO study. Right. And I was very lucky to acquire their correspondence files from uh, Admiral Knoll's granddaughter. Wow. I was looking for that because my aunt Betty Hill knew Admiral Knowles and his right. wife. And so I was able to acquire those, and, and it was... Talk, there was talk of a secret study that was being done by the U.S. government um, with these ETs. And, and the information that was given is that when uh, there is the detonation of a thermonuclear weapon, it tears into the dimensions. Absolutely. Yeah. And it yep. creates big problems for all of the dimensions, not yeah. just Earth. They were here, they said, uh, reconstructing our magnetic lines, uh, fault lines is what they called it, um, in order to help this planet Mm -hmm. back then. And But, you know, they have to help themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's such a concern to them. Our behavior is a concern to everyone else out there. Right. And uh, I can I can actually validate that uh, magnetic line work because some of the work my star people had me do initially in my 30s was they sent me to specific sites in New Zealand 
to mm-hmm. reactivate the energies there or to they would channel in an energy through me. I would feel it come in and go through me mm-hmm. and it was to align uh, something. Oh, I'm feeling that energy right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, through my head. Um, did they tell you to plant anything in those no, areas? No, no, no. I just t- took myself there and I'd feel it go through my body. I'd feel it go into the ground and I would, mm-hmm. uh, like physically, I'd feel a little bit dizzy. Um, sometimes I kind of had to kind of brace myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And But it, it was only it never lasted very long. It's only like a matter of seconds, a minute, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Well, I know a couple here uh, who are friends of mine who ha- traveled all over Canada, the United States, Mexico, uh, Central America, um, pl- doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But they were planting um, crystals and, and things oh, as well. Right. Right. In, yeah. in certain areas. The only other place that my people sent me to, and I waited 25 years to go there, was Uluru in Australia. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, so it's great that people are are working with the ETs in order yeah. to try to save this planet and make things right again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I actually put out, a, a, a when COVID first came out, I probably have a little bit of a different viewpoint to you uh, about um, like I always say to people there are ETs that are benevolent that want to help us there's those that aren't and then there are those that are just neutral they just watch yes yeah that's what I found as well yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's and and um, not all and those who currently control this reality as we are aware of it are not benevolent to humankind so there's been situations negotiations going on for a a while um Mm -hmm. and um they like to keep the fear factor ramped up because humans are easy to control if they're in fear absolutely Absolutely. So I put and out, it's so unfortunate. It is. So I put out this podcast saying, look, this is happening. This is my understanding of what has happened, that these situations have been created so people will react in a fear-based state. Mm-hmm. Try to not buy into the fear. Try to do things, you know, look around, see where you can help your neighbors, you know, things that take you out of that fear state. Mm-hmm. Because the energy that you were talking about is very prevalent at the moment. So many people that are in fear in my group, all from all over the world, because my group members are from all over the world, that in fear, um, fear of of catching COVID, fear of losing their livelihood, fear of losing their homes, fear of not being able to feed their children, fear of something happening to their loved ones. There's so much fear. And on top of that, you've got the natural earth changes that are occurring and military things that are happening in in certain situations. So there's a whole lot of fear energy in the world at the moment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like trying to let people know that you don't need don't buy into the fear. You don't need if you if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling uh, overwhelmed 
turn the TV off, go for a walk and ground yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nature is so important. Yeah. Very, very important. What what an exciting life you've had. With it has been. It's been so satisfying, fulfilling. And, you know, I'm still like the scientist on search, in search of the answers. So I'll continue as long as I can. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't blame you. Now, one last question before we wrap up about what is your viewpoint on the so-called disclosure just given by your government Clayton's disclosure do you remember Clayton's the alcoholic drink that was an alcoholic (laughs) that's like that's like a that will oh maybe it might have been a a kiwi thing they brought this alcoholic drink out in the 70s that tasted alcoholic but it had no alcohol in it oh it really had no content and that's why this to me was a Clayton's report Okay, I think they called it O'Doul's over here in the United States. But um, yes, it was, I I didn't expect a lot from the United States government, to tell you the truth, because I've, in archival collections and with Stanton Friedman, we studied the the history of government involvement in the investigation of UFOs, the findings, their decision to cover up their findings, and those who were involved in the cover-up, what they did to yeah. case after case of, mm. of uh, innocent people who had had these experiences with mm. com- the compelling evidence. And so I, I never anticipated a lot of disclosure, mm. but you know we got a little bit. But what really bothered me is uh, working up to this disclosure over the path past maybe seven or eight years, yeah. um, we have not had the disinformants who came onto television programs when there was a, a show about UFOs and told a, a false story. They had taken that part of it out, but I w- had been watching and I was wondering, are they going to test the American public on this with this limited exposure uh, but then are they going to clamp the lid shut on experiencers mm-hmm. and try to uh, give disinformation to the american public about that and that's what's going on again yeah. Yeah. here now there's uh travis walton case uh is being de- it's supposed, supposedly it's not oh, debunked. It's not. It's another one, Betty and Barney Hill, yeah. that is being attacked as well. Um, and experiencers, I think, are uh, going to be attacked. I've, I recently spoke with uh, a large group of experiencers, and mm. I was told that they sense that there is a, a witch hunt that is going to be taking place. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do we do? about that, mm-hmm. um, you know, people will be hurt. The only thing you can do is to ignore those nasty people. Know yeah. where they come from. Yeah. They're working for the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just completely ignore them. Go on with your life. Don't answer any questions or any mm-hmm. charges that they make against you. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, they're going to come in like a shark attack. 
and just take bites out of you and yeah, it's going to yeah. lower your vibrational frequency yeah, yeah. and and stay up here stay where you are yeah. that's the important thing don't let them drag you down yeah yeah that's right i i've heard that too like susie herself has been saying that um she's been hearing similar that you know people have are feeling the urge to be quiet at the moment uh, yes. not me not me I'm still speaking out <laughs> and I'm not going to stop you know because that's what I do and but for me like you know I've had ridicule ridicule my entire life because I've always spoken out about my experiences mm-hmm. you know so I, I I'm at a stage in my life I'm I'm where I don't care, you know, I'm going mm-hmm. to speak my truth because that's who I am. And people, Good can for you. It. people can accept it or reject it. It makes no difference to me. I know what I know. Mm-hmm. And I don't need validation from anybody else. To, right. You know, and, and I think my, that, oh, go ahead. I'm I sorry. Think, I think partly that comes with age though. That's, you know. Yes, I think it does. Yeah. I think it does. When you get to the point where you really, have nothing to lose. Mm, mm, mm. Um, you, you're no longer uh, working in your profession mm. as you once did. At least for me, I'm. Uh, I was 13 in 1961. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm. I'm an older person, and I, I, am fearless, mm. uh, and I just let these people roll off my shoulders. Yeah, and. Uh, um, my goal is to help experiencers, to work with experiencers. Mm-hmm. If the government doesn't want the public to know about it, that's fine with me. My focus is on experiencers. Absolutely. But you know, my people said to me back in the 80s that the, that the governments of the world had been given a limited amount of time in which to disclose information to everybody. Otherwise, the choice would be taken out of their hands. Mm-hmm. Well, what the ETs said to us through Kevin Briggs is that they had gone around to the heads of state mm. all over the, the world and to the major business leaders, and they were not interested mm. in uh, having visible ex- exposure and disclosure. So they said then they went to the people themselves. And they say that when we have reached a certain level where more than 50% of the world knows about this, Mm. knows that it's real, Mm. then it will be, everything will be good. Mm. Everything will be fine. The disclosure will come from us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to come from experiencers. And they're showing themselves more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's exciting actually it's a very exciting time that we live in despite everything else that's going on the storm that's raging around us we're living in very exciting times because humanity is reaching the stage where it's not going to be an isolated planet by itself it's going to be part of the greater intergalactic community yes yes and that's a huge step forward for the people of earth Huge mm-hmm. step forward, and it's exciting. So, Kathleen, where do you go from here? What What have you got in the works? You've got your uh, video that you're doing that you mentioned. Yes, I I had been working uh, on 
a two-hour documentary right, exactly. uh, that's going to air in the U.S. in September. Uh, also, uh, writing another book, uh, and this time about my life and my experiences and my mentors and and my journey to understanding. Oh, exciting! And so I'm I'm working on that. I uh, am trying to. Uh, work uh, using hypnosis with experiencers, quantum healing hypnosis, but uh, uh, pretty limited. We had some free time where, uh, before the variant really hit the United States and it's right. highly prevalent here now. People, the hospitals are filling up. And uh, so I have to be more cautious. Yes. And, but I'm... Um, uh, just very busy working with experiencers. I uh, have Zoom meetings, consultations where experiencers can ask me anything. Uh, you just have to go to my website at Kathleen-Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N, dot com. And uh, it's uh, only $30 I, US. I don't charge much. That's but it very makes, reasonable, yeah. Yes. So I'm, I offer that. Uh, if people live in the United States, I can mail autograph copies of my books to them. I can't mail them overseas just due to the cost. It's, um, but my books are available. Yes, all, all the online bookstores, uh, sellers, they're, they're there. So uh, you can order them in many different formats. Uh, there's Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, Science Was Wrong, Fact Fiction and Flying Saucers, um, the alien abduction files and extraterrestrial contact, what to do when you've been abducted. So they're available as ebooks, as audiobooks, as uh, soft cover, hard cover, you name it. Great. That's awesome. Now, what about social media? Are you on so active on social media? Like <laughs> you know, I don't have a I don't have a lot of time to be active on social media. I'm not on Instagram. I, I visit Facebook when I have something important to say or just right. want to say hi to my friends, that sort of thing. But um, I, uh, I try to have a social life, try to have time <laughs> with my husband <laughs> as well and my children. And so, uh, you know, I have to try to uh, strike a balance in my life, in, in addition to all of the, the work that I do, because I have a tendency to be a workaholic, I have a tendency, I'd probably work 18 hours a day if I could, wow. but I have to, yeah. so I have to structure my time and force right. myself not to continue with this, right. tell myself, you'll get all the answers before you die, don't worry. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. I understand about the social media. Honestly, if I wasn't doing a podcast, I wouldn't be on the social media. It's just, it's really, it's hard work, social media. It's easier <laughs> for me doing the podcast than it is the social media, but I yes. totally get you. Now, for all my listeners, for every episode I do of my podcast, I have a page on my podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, that will have the full written transcript of this episode and links to your books mm -hmm. where people okay, can go and buy them and to your website. So that will mm -hmm. be all online uh, and you can go there and you can check out Kathleen's books and uh, 
check out her website. It's actually a really good website. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it immensely. Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely a delight talking to you. And for thank me you, as well. <laughs> thank you for sharing you. your aunt and uncle's story. Honestly, I regard them as heroes. I do because I know yes. I can, well, I don't know personally, but, you know, I understand the pressures that were put on them. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah. I know you do because yeah. you've been through it yourself. Yeah, yeah, but but they had double pressures, you know, with their with their interracial marriage and that. So yes. for them, it was a huge, a huge burden. They were wayfarers for the rest of us. Yeah. They were. They were very brave. Yeah, they looked you know, straight ahead uh, in a very positive way. Yeah, and I was going to say, actually, before we go, they were doing work that they'd obviously been taught preparatory work to help people, Mm -hmm. like just to help people generally, to help the planet, to help people. That's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were. They were humanitarians. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, we experiencers uh, perceive our world as differently than the general population yes we do. Um, because of the position we have we we know that we are uh are different that we have a different perspective mm. when we've interacted with non-humans from other planets or other dimensions yeah you do you have a totally different perspective like my, i was speaking i was actually speaking with my children the other day and i was saying well, look, you have your perspective on on this pandemic, what's going on. And I have a different perspective because I can see the greater picture. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and I guess that gives us, uh, 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 what's the word? I guess it helps us to deal with things. It does. On a a different level. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyway. But anyway, Kathleen, thank you so much for your time. It's been really awesome talking to you. Oh, my pleasure. Can you all imagine what life must have been like for Betty and Barney and then as the flow-on effect for Kathleen and her mum and immediate family? Intergenerational experiences. I have so much respect for Betty and Barney. To me, they were absolute pioneers in speaking out and owning their experiences. They paved the way for those of us who came after them. They helped so many more to feel more comfortable in discussing our own experiences with star people, ETs, EBEs, or whatever name you choose to give these beings from other planets, other dimensions. Of course, with the way they were treated initially, this may have discouraged many also from speaking out due to the witch hunts and persecution of experiences in that era. But despite what they had to endure, they paved the way for our generation and all generations that follow. Real, honest, loving and caring people. Just regular folks to some, heroes to me and countless others. 
I want to thank Kathleen for her time and energy, not only in speaking up for her aunt and uncle and keeping their encounters fresh in the minds of people, because that's so important, but also for all the work she does helping experiences to come to terms with their own encounters. These encounters can be extremely traumatizing and physically painful for some and more pleasant and enlightening for others. But all encounters, regardless of the type that people may experience, need some time to accept and adjust to, especially because it alters everything you possibly have known or been taught about the world around you. So thank you, Kathleen, for your work, your time and your energy. If this episode triggers any memories of possible encounters for you, then if you're in the US, you can contact Kathleen via her website, www.kathleenmarden.com. If you're in New Zealand or Aussie, then email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or visit the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com and use the contact form on the website. I'll get back to you with people you can contact in your country. Today's bumper music was called The Alien by Alex Under the Sky. If you enjoy this podcast and have considered becoming a sponsor, now's a great time to join. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members-only page on the podcast website that has bits that end up on the digital cutting board and little extras like full, raw, unedited video conversations with guests, EVPs caught during the conversations and so much more. You also, you can download full written transcripts of each episode and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude, patreon.com forward slash mcc15 for just the cost of a cup of coffee a month. You can help financially support the running costs of this podcast. So you don't miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10 TikTok under walking underscore the underscore shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show encourage them to listen and to subscribe also the more the merrier thanks for listening to this episode kakite ano oyakoi i'll see you again Thanks for listening. 